Hey, what's up? Uh, welcome back to episode two now of Purple Politics. We got some fantastic topics that I want to cover today. Uh, how mm. you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. Uh, have myself a nice little uh, break here before I umpire later today. So, uh, yeah, good Sunday. Perfect. Uh, it's been a beautiful week as far as politics go. Um, yes. Robert Robert Mueller spoke... He did his press conference. Am yes. I going to talk about that? No, I'm not. Uh, some new information on this citizenship question has come out. Uh, first, I want to see what do you think about this citizenship question uh, for the census? Um, I'll let you do your, your thoughts first, and then I can kind of respond. All right. Uh, from the start, I really thought that this citizenship question was kind of counterproductive because I think a census is supposed to show you how many people live in the country as opposed to being a political move. Um, it seemed like there was no, uh, no question that something was going on by asking a citizenship question because I believe it was the first time in 276 years, if that was a fact. But it was the first time in census history that uh, that question was going to be asked. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court's going to decide on that in the next month. Mm-hmm. And the information that came out was from a Dr. Thomas Hofeller, who is a prominent... Uh, figure or was a prominent figure he passed away in the gerrymandering that republicans have done he was a republican Mm -hmm. strategist or strategist Mm -hmm. uh and basically after he died his daughter found a bunch of hard drives flash drives um with a bunch of information and one of that one of the pieces that she just found, which is kind of changing how the court might handle it, is that Hofeller found that using a citizen voting age or using a citizenship question uh, would be advantageous to Republicans and non-Hispanic whites. Um, that's based on a study he did in 2015, and that was released in... Uh, that was released by the daughter who gave up all those uh, flash drives to investigators. Okay. Interesting. So do you want to, could you expand more on like how, how would that go about harming those, those people? Uh, so the challengers are saying that this evidence is kind of, proves their point that the reason is to intimidate Hispanic households from being counted um, because Mm. the majority of illegal immigrants or non-citizens are are, uh, at least where they want it to be are Hispanic. And so if you have a district and say 40% of the population is Hispanic and if 20% of them aren't citizens and they don't answer their census question, that now skews it to only 20% Hispanic. Now I'm just pulling numbers out right there, but you see the role it could it could uh, it could play in deciding mm-hmm. how districts are now redistributed. 
Interesting. So it's linked with gerrymandering. Yes. This guy is okay. a huge gerrymander, uh, or he was, um, and he played a big role, I believe, uh, North Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about um, that. Yeah. And he, you know, I, I think that it kind of makes sense now. Um, yeah, he was North Carolina, and he was Pennsylvania. He was a big... I, I for one, am completely against gerry- gerrymandering as a principle for both parties. Right. Uh, but using a, a census question, which is directly for, for seeing a population um, and turning that into a political move... To further enhance gerrymandering okay. for the next decade at least is is ridiculous. So my question is, well, right now, I mean, as, and as it's always been, you have to be a citizen to vote in the United States. Yes, correct? you do. Okay, so asking this question, so so you're saying it would aid gerrymandering by having citizens. Um, still not answer the census because there were no it wouldn't be I, I don't think it'd be citizens as much uh uh-huh. but a lot of the illegal immigrants in the nation are are mexican or hispanic not mexican that was stupid but mex uh but hispanic and then trump is is bringing up the whole mexico is letting all these illegals through uh-huh. uh and and it's kind of even though they're they're not given voting rights, they're still people, and they still count towards the population. And districts are are uh, are drawn based on population. Right. And if there's an well, area with a heavy uh, undocumented presence, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying, but. They do they do count towards the population, but at the same time, population is not what determines who's elected. It's people who have voting rights, you know, people who are over eighteen, and people who are citizens of the country. I know. So, uh, but what I'm saying here is that you're able to draw districts differently. Now, I I obviously don't know what this study that he did was because it's it's not entirely public yet. But he himself mm-hmm. wrote that it would be advantageous to Republicans and non-Hispanic whites. And he himself was involved with the Department of Justice. He moved to the Trump administration right. after he was elected and say, hey, if we add this question, it will be advantageous to us. Right. Yeah. No, of course, if his motive was to um, start skewing elections towards Republicans, and if that's anybody's motive in doing this, then, then that's definitely wrong. But at the same time, if uh, if the result of something just ends up helping Republicans um, or ends up helping Democrats, I think, and but that's not the motive of it, then I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. And I, I understand the idea of, you know, they're not voting, but they should still be counted in population because they still live in America and their opinions still matter. But at the same time, you know, I think there's a reason that we only have citizens vote. And because these districts are inherently linked with voting i feel that 
it doesn't make much sense to like to count um illegal immigrants in the districts because as far as I know the districts only affect voting and as long as but voting the, is only the rights of citizens the districts affect representation that's the whole idea mm-hmm. is that these districts are supposed to it's not the senate or the president in which the senate's you know a grander scale the districts are specifically supposed to be for the people living in the community that's supposed to be their voice and especially right, when but, you break it down further to state to state districts that's supposed to be their voice and when if you have a like you've seen the power of gerrymandering where you can make the minority get the power if you do it properly uh-huh and is that really representative of uh representative of the the population then it's no we were correct it wouldn't be representing the population but at the same time um if a segment of the population is here illegally by definition their voice should not count um in terms of voting rights and in terms of what happens in their district because yeah, I mean, they're lucky to be here anyways, and I'm not for deportation, and I'm not saying that should happen, but they are taking a risk in being here, and they should know that their voice, I, I, I mean, as, as, um, uh, as bad I, as this could come off, I think that there's a reason that their voice counts less than other people's voices, and it's because uh, they're, they're, sim- they're not citizens, you know, they haven't been in America, and they are breaking the law. Um, when they come into our country. I I just can't get behind valuing a person less because of their legal status. No, and, I don't value their and, their human dignity any less. But, but when their human dignity is value, at risk because of the because of the other party that wants to devalue them. That's where it comes from, at least in my opinion. And I don't think in it I think it points to a bigger problem of gerrymandering which the Supreme Court mm-hmm. is also supposed to uh supposed to take which is Rucho v Common Clause and Lamone v Benesek those are two mm-hmm. separate courses North Carolina and Maryland and should partisan gerrymandering be allowed Is that a Right well is that a definitely not I I thought both parties are are guilty of this in the past, but yes. I think right now the most egregious models are in uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Just voted; uh, they just passed a bill or a law to eliminate partisan gerrymandering. So good on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got North Carolina, yeah. Wisconsin is also facing some gerrymandering, and and it mm-hmm. really strikes down the principle of what the country is supposed to be in order to gain political points right no i agree with that and but at the same time i feel i mean i think the the value of i i don't equate not having a vote with having your human dignity lessened i still think that you know it's not like you know, these people are not included in the law, but at the same time, you know, it's illegal to, um, you know, you know, obviously there's still, you know, you can't murder them, you can't, 
um, do anything harmful to them. You couldn't do to any other person, you know, any citizen. You know, non-citizens still have the right, these basic human rights. And so I get what you're saying, and I totally respect the idea, and I, I see where you're coming from. But in my mind, I don't think there's anything that really happens in the United States that um, equates not having a vote with not having, um, you know, the same human rights. Yeah, as, it's, as it people. seems here that the data, uh, this is what the Washington Post said, they said that the data could also enable states to move away from considering non-voters at all in their line drawing in the way Mr. Hofeller envisioned. Um, so yeah, that's going on, I imagine, districting based on voting status rather than population status. Right, and I... I again, I, I don't necessarily see the problem with that, but I, I I understand why you would see a problem with it. But in my mind, I don't think, I think it I I think there's 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 a reason for that. It seems here that the reason why these people don't have a vote. Yeah, it seems here that these two uh, court cases or these three court cases, because there's two partisan gerrymandering cases. It seems here that those two or those three go hand in hand. Then, um, but the only difference is mm -hmm. is. If the partisan gerrymandering is struck down, uh, then that seems that, or it seems that, then the census question would have a lot more hurdles to get through to be the the Republican benefiter. Right. Um, so no, I'm with you. I'm with you on the gerrymandering aspect. Partisan gerrymandering is wrong, and I I would be willing to admit that it happens a little bit. Um, the more I would, the more egregious cases happens in Republican states. I've read articles that that um, evidence that, um, but I think that's a separate issue from this. In that, yeah. while while the the voting rights would um, end up um, favoring um, Republican districts, I would see that as sort of an unintended consequence for for the guy who wrote the articles and has hard drives. That was certainly his intended consequence, and that's that's wrong. And it's wrong to do that sort of research and say, hey, if we do this, we can help Republicans, right? Yes, but then but the Department of if, Justice if is then backing up that claim because he went to the Department of Justice and was like, yo, if you guys do this, it will be better for you. So mm -hmm. it, well, it, it's yeah, a very intentional move. Um, right. No, I – yeah, that's – that's and that's the part I get I get behind, or like I can't get behind, is that right. if you want a citizenship question and you want that for the reasons they say they want it, uh, which is what then, which is what then, I want. Yeah, like their uh, their defense of it is is a complete lie if this is true. No, I I agree with that, and I think. I think, yeah, I would not want, you know, that's a good point. I would not want the Department of Justice doing this because, so my, as you say, their intentions are probably um, skewed and biased. Um, I, I would be in favor of, you know, s you know, legislation because then you would have both Republicans and Democrats weighing in on the issue, and it wouldn't so much be, you know, trying to help your party. It would just be what I'm for, which is just... Um, you know the just the very basic level of um counting voters over population okay um that that what i would support but i can see where you're coming from and i, and I would no and it does uh, yeah, it does make I, sense I to, in, in a way to count voters but i just think that 
that the idea that it's supposed to represent all kind of, mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to represent all rather than voters. Right. Right. No. Yeah. I think that's just, and, what but, but I do understand representing voters overall because the voters are the ones making the decisions. Um, yeah. So my question now is if you were on the Supreme court, say you were Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, would you vote for this, or would you rule in favor of this, based on seeing that the, uh, just in your opinion, would you vote or rule in favor of the census question? And I was wrong. It's That's not the tough. Department of Justice. It's the Department of Commerce. That's tough. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I would argue. You know, I don't think I know enough to answer that question because I'm not sure what kind of perspective the Supreme Court justices are supposed to take. Okay. I'm not sure if then, they're supposed to take into account the uh, the bias of the Department of Justice and of the Republican strategist. Okay. Um, if they are supposed to take that into account, then I think they should strike down the rule because they say the rule was made in bad faith. But if they're just supposed to look at the constitutional, can you limit it to voters issue, and if somehow they're allowed to ignore the biases and say, you know what, we're going to have to put that to the side because the rule itself is not biased, then I would say, okay, then you should keep the rule upheld. So I don't know. I'd have to see, you know, I don't know what they consider in determining this. And if they're supposed to consider those biases, then I would say, yeah, they'd have to strike it down. And I would be in favor of some sort of congressional legislation. Okay. So I, I do want to let you know that the lower courts, every lower court that the issue has gone past so far have struck it down. Okay. Um, they say that Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, exceeded his authority and uh, and the Constitution by trying to add this question. Okay. And um, I th- I think that stems yeah. from the strictly non-political stance that census is supposed to rule as. Right. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens then because. Yeah. We've seen we've seen Gorsuch and uh, and Kavanaugh do some votes uh, vote certain ways that um, wouldn't necessarily normally align with the Republican position. Yeah, Roberts um, especially. Yeah, um, yeah, Roberts too, but he's been doing that for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Do you have anything else you want to say? You want to move on uh, to next issue. Yeah, we can move on. I'll bring up the uh, other gerrymandering that I'd like to talk about later. Sure. Um, okay, so what I want to talk about is I want to get your opinion on the controversy over transgender athletes. Um, and I want to look at this in the context of, you know, separate from, you know, people's ideas on transgenders themselves and, you know, the high school bathroom laws and everything like that. That's that's separate from this. Um I just, I, I don't know, this might be a short discussion because you might uh, agree with me, but um, I saw a tweet, and I see tweets like this all the time, um, and as silly as it is to be reactionary to tweets, um, just the situation outlined in the tweet, I think, um, got to me, and so, uh, let's see, let me try to find the tweet, but basically there is this um, formerly male athlete, um, and he runs track, and so he 
had finished in the 200s and 300s place um, in all his competitions. Um, and then he transitioned um, into uh, being a female. And then the uh, uh, new name was Cece. And so she entered a women's competition and won the whole thing easily. And uh, so I, I understand why that person would want to participate in the women's section, but I just think it's incredibly unfair to all the women who have been um, running their entire lives and now you know, don't have a shot at first place because they're competing against someone whose body is just ahead of where all these other women's bodies are. That, so I'd like to get your opinion on that. That issue, I, I'm so back and forth because I, I just don't want to be... I, it's, it's such a rough issue for me. Um, mm-hmm. Because part of me says these are people, uh, the, the transgender athletes themselves, that these are people who deserve the right to be recognized as, as who they want to be recognized as. And, mm-hmm. and thus should deserve the right to compete in what they identify as. Um, mm-hmm. But then the other part of me is, hold, say if you are a male who transitions into a female, um, you're not going to be... Uh, your testosterone levels are going to be higher. Mm-hmm. And that can translate to being stronger. Uh as well as the male body typically is stronger than the female body uh, as far as mass goes or in gaining mm-hmm. mass. And so right. that's that's really where my – that's where it's hard for me to decide at what point is it fair to everyone. Right. And I'd like there to be some kind of way for it to be fair to everyone. Right. But I No, I understand that. Um but I think there's certain things I just think that when you do transition, I think there's certain new realities about your life that you have to accept. And I think one of those is that it would be unfair for you to start comparing yourself in certain physical ways to um people of that gender who have um been that gender their entire life. Um and I think, you know, it would be nice if you know, every aspect of their life could, you know, you could say um, they're treated like every other female, but I just don't, I, th- I think in many cases, and even outside of this, that's just not possible. And, um, you know, because, you know, you might say, oh, just add an asterisk in the record books um, and have it noted that they transitioned, but th- there's still, you know, if you finish second in that race and you say, oh, well, you finished first out of the you know, all the non-asterisks in the race. Well then, but there's still something, you know, you know, wonderful about finishing first and that you, you don't get that feeling even if you are the best of the, of the women that have uh, not undergone a transition. Yeah. And so, and you see this in other sports competitions. And so I think, I think that there's certain things that you have to accept. And I think when you transition, that's from a, especially a man to a, fem- to a woman. I think that's something that you just have to accept because it's so absurd to see, to just see you know these people winning these competitions by so much, and somehow pretending like 
that's normal and that's acceptable. I and that that's what's hard with me because mm-hmm. my belief is that if you are transgender, you should get every right possible. But mm-hmm. when do certain aspects supersede other aspects of life? Because mm-hmm. if if it were only affecting uh, a a uh, if it we're only affecting one person, that being the transgender person, um, and no one else, then I'm all for that. But if it's directly impacting, say, nine other people, in a right. in a competition, I don't. Right. I don't know, and that's that's okay. what's hard. So you're with still kind of undecided. Okay. Uh, that's fair. Because I want these people to feel validated, and I want them to feel like they deserve what they deserve and mm-hmm. say if they were a superstar athlete as a male then they obviously deserve winning but it's at what cost right well yeah that's where i just i get that desire too but i think i think that's exactly where it comes from is if you've been finishing the 200s and 300s and all of a sudden you say okay wait no i'm actually a first place person i don't think you deserve that and i think it's one of those things um I think it's just one of those areas. No, where I, I want it to be clear. I don't, don't think people to transition to win. I do not think people transition. No, to win. no, no. Yeah. Uh, no, I understand. Yeah. No, no, just, no. For okay. sure, for sure, for sure. Right. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you don't. The, that, as far as we you know, when we're talking about things that you deserve, I don't think a first place medal is is one of those things. Um, because you, I think you do have to recognize that all of a sudden you have an unfair advantage, and so that's where I draw the line. And I don't think, I don't think, you know, I think what you're saying is it violates some sort of, you know, their concept of I'm still being respected as a woman. Um, but in my opinion, I don't think that's violated because I think it's just very clear that you have an advantage, and I think you just have to accept that. And I think you have to understand that no one's being discriminatory when they held you out of these competitions because you simply put just have an unfair advantage um so that's where i stand um but yeah um anything else you you want to respond to that or do you want to move on to gerrymandering uh it's 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 a rough issue um and i i don't think that it's going to be I, d- I don't think that outright banning trans members is mm-hmm. going to be completely effective. I think there could be a compromise. Okay. All right. Uh, but yeah. Um, I want to save the gerrymandering for the last if we have extra time. But I want to talk about the current state of the economy okay. and the uh and maybe the wealth tax that elizabeth warren has been advocating for lately um are you aware of the wealth tax i am aware of the wealth tax i don't know um specifically um the entire details of the plan but i do know the gist of it the idea is pretty basic um the idea is these people at the very top of society. Um, I th- believe it's 0.05% or 0.01%. It's very few people will be impacted by it. Uh, but mm-hmm. these people 
are not paying the same in taxes as other people. So say, say you're a millionaire and I'm uh, living paycheck to paycheck, but we both work the same job. We're making the same income, okay. right? And so mm-hmm. we'll basically be paying around the same tax uh, because it's, taxes are based on income. And mm-hmm. so the wealth tax says, hey, if you're super rich, you should be paying more, a little more based on your total wealth rather than your income. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the tax is 2% for every dollar. So it's $0.02 cents on the dollar above $50 million, and then $0.03 cents above mm-hmm. a billion. Mm-hmm. And the numbers on how many people have over $50 million are very few in this country. Mm-hmm. But the revenue that could be raised is $200 billion if you mm-hmm. implement this. And it's based on your total net worth, so not just your income. It's everything you own uh, and all the money that you have. And it, it seems that this idea is incredibly popular with the people. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, I've noticed, and everyone else has probably noticed, that people are more likely to support things if it benefits them. So how many, it goes back to how many multimillionaires you know, and the odds are very few unless you're, uh, you're of course the top of the bracket. Right. And I just want to hear your idea on the, on this tax plan as a, as a policy. Right. So I don't have a problem with progressive income taxes and taxing the wealthy more. And I think at its core, the wealth tax, just as an idea, is not bad. Um, But my problem is the estimates for how much it would raise and how it would affect appear to be incorrect. And so in an article from CNN Politics, there's a section here where it says, In an op-ed for the Washington Post, economist and Harvard professor Lawrence H. Summers, along with assistant professor of finance, blah, 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 estimate their wealth tax would raise around one-eighth of the size and Zuckman estimate, which is the estimate that Warren used, based on IRS reports of a revenue from the estate tax. And then they, there's a quote, even being maximally optimistic about the wealth tax's revenue potential, Summers and Sarah and Wright, we will get a revenue estimate for wealth taxation of only about 40% of the size and Zuckman estimate. And so my problem is, if she's planning on paying for you know free college and all the things that she wants to pay for with the wealth tax, I think the math there is wrong because... According to this Harvard professor, and I've seen this from a couple other articles too, not just this one, the estimate that she's using is just simply wrong. It's it's looking at it too basically, and it's not going into the specific rules that the IRS currently has on taxes and stuff like that. And when you look at that, it only raises about 40% of what she's saying it's going to raise. And so, you know, if she's willing, if we're all willing to accept that, that it's only going to be, that it's going to be 40% less or sorry, 40% of what she's saying, and we want to pay for things with that 40%, um, depending on what things those are being paid for, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, But I think we just have to be wary because I think a lot of times we say, a lot of these Democrat politicians say they're going to pay for all these amazing things and they list them off and it sounds wonderful. But when you do the math, the money where they're saying it's coming from, they 
they're simply just not getting that much money. Um, and so that's my, um, that's my uh, thoughts on it, is that there's a great risk we're taking and that we might be paying for much more than what we're taking in with this. Um, okay. So, yeah. My, my other issue is, uh, for one, I, I would really like to see billionaires and the, the 1% as a whole being held more accountable for their wealth um, and paying much higher taxes. But the idea of a flat wealth tax is it seems to open up a lot of loopholes. It mm. also seems to just uh, to really lessen the incentive to, to get to that level um, in which if your net worth is very high, why don't you just offshore it or hold your money in a different uh, different country that you don't have to pay those taxes in? And so mm. uh, it seems that if not done properly, this can have a huge impact on the economy in which there will be less people really getting to those wealthy levels, or if they do, they'll find loopholes to avoid it. Right. Um, but I would like no. to see some kind of increase in the ultra-wealthy. Uh, I'd also like to see a more... Uh, concrete plan for making yeah. sure that we get the money if it is enacted. Yeah, that's fair. Because that's I, fair. I think loopholes. Um, so yeah. another article I'm now reading, and this is also the other danger that I have with it is, you know, we think that a certain amount of taxes aren't really going to affect the economy and whatever businesses these incredibly wealthy people are running we think that they really won't be too much affected by this. but So here's one example. So um, this is kind of an extension of the CNN article. It references a Harvard professor, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it goes to say a 2% wealth tax, or sorry, 2% tax on the wealth of wealthy people may not sound like very much. Right. But what it amounts to is a very high income tax on investment. The inflation-adjusted long-term return on the S&P 500 runs about 7%. Taking 2% annually of an asset growing at 7% effectively amounts to an additional income tax of 30.6% on top of the existing taxes on capital gains and corporate income. And so what happens is it ends up being a 31% tax on investment in the S&P 500, and I think a little less in different markets. But even so, the S&P 500 is huge and for investors and everything. And so if you're taxing those at 31%, you know, if you think 2%, okay, yeah, that's not going to have much of a difference. 31%. That's huge. That legitimately will have economic impacts and bring down investment and have um, vast effects on the economy. And so, and eventually, you know, you go through all the, you know, you know, Mr. Bruce, you know, uh, macroeconomics, and you end up getting, you know, jobs are lost, blah, 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 and it ends up hurting a lot of people, you know, from just the overall state of the economy being worsened and so that's where i that's where my problem is too is not only do we have to make sure we pay for everything but it's it's really hard to gauge how this will hurt the economy as a whole yeah and so it, it's hard because we don't have evidence right we haven't really tried anything like this big you know we've we've grown our progressive income taxes and blah 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 blah, blah. 
but something of this nature and increasing taxes a huge amount on the wealthy. I, there, I think there's just so much risk in that, you know, we don't know what effects that will what effects that will have. Will those wealthy people be okay? Sure. But will the decrease in business investment and other things, you know, what's going to happen with that? And I think it's just a huge risk. And so that's where I don't know if I could support anything like this because it's really tough to see exactly what will happen. Um, but I'm sure you'll have a rebuttal for that, so go ahead. As far as... I, I want to define what the economy is in a in an mm-hmm. American sense. In mm-hmm. so what we're seeing right now is economic growth at mm-hmm. a, a scale we haven't seen in a very long time. But who is that really affecting? The middle mm-hmm. class is is shrinking. Mm-hmm. Wealth inequality is growing. Yes. So it seems right now that sure the economy's great if you're the wealthy. And I think that's what this this tax in its idea is is trying to to fix or to help. Um so if you're not burdened by student loans which Warren says this will pay for or help pay for that can grow the middle mm-hmm. class cuz the middle class is the w- one the middle class, lower class are the ones usually burdened by this. Mm-hmm. And that's millions of people. Right. Uh, I believe 40 million, over 40 million. And so right. you eliminate 95% of, of student debt. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That'll be a huge boost to the economy because that's people who can spend their money now instead of, of having to pay inflated insurance, not inflated insurance rates, but inflated rates on their loans. Right. And, and 95, it, 95% is that her estimate? Uh, she will, her plan to eliminate student debt, it will eliminate 95% of people's student debt. That's what her plan is said to do. Yeah, no, if, if that was um, accomplished, that'd be great. But again, I yeah, again, I'm just saying the number in, in principle or the idea yeah, itself. Yeah, in principle, um, that's worth a look. And, I I would like to see, personally, a good economy for everyone, as opposed to just the mega corporations and the incredibly mm-hmm. wealthy, who are seeing mostly the benefits of the current tax cut. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah. So that that's yeah really my idea with what a wealth tax could be. Sure. Um, yeah. No, I I understand that. Um, and uh, got to hop off here. Um, sure. But as a final point, um, I think that's what we're seeing with you know the American economy. American economy the last fifty years is the middle class shrinking, um, wealth inequality is growing. Certainly, the wealthy are being um, unproportionately benefited by all that's going on. And is that unfortunate? Yes. But you have to look at the simultaneous consequences and. With the current economy, you know, the unemployment rate is incredibly low. And while in terms of, you know, overall wealth, that's not a huge boost to middle and low income um, people, those jobs themselves are very important. Um, And I think when you look at the wealth inequality, if simultaneously we're seeing low unemployment rates and we're also seeing 
you know, huge, huge growth in technology, in health, in science, in medical care. You know, I could show you so many graphs from, from especially places like Africa and stuff like that. You know, all these places, even America, where wealth inequality is growing, simultaneously, we've seen the world, you know, in the last 60 years, we've seen just amazing increases in, you know, these things that do help the lower class, like medical care, um, technology, iPhones help us connect the world, everything's so more efficient now. Um, and just, you know, you've seen poverty go down in places like Africa, where uh, obviously there's still lots of problems there. Um, but, you, you know, you look at Africa, there's still, there's wealth inequality there too. Um, and, you know, I'm not just spouting this, you know, from nowhere, I, I have a one of my roommates is from Africa, and so I've talked a lot with him and stuff like that. And yeah, so, but Africa is a, if is there's, a monolith. It's a very, it's a huge. No, continent. no, no. I no, no, no. I, I'm. You're right. I am overgeneralizing. Yeah. Um. But I think Rwanda is a very good example of that because it it had huge problems in the 1990s, and recently it's getting slowly and slowly better. Yeah, like a genocide. Uh, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you. You know, you can rebut that. But I, but my overall point is that you know maybe we might have to accept to a certain degree, wealth inequality, if it's bringing these wonderful things along with it. So, yeah, I'll let you respond, and then... I sure. Uh, I think wealth, wealth inequality in a capitalistic market is expected, mm-hmm. but if wealth is increasing for one section, but wages are stagnating and in some cases decreasing for the lower, that's where my issue is. I don't think wealth sure. inequality should constitute being able to afford medical care or not. I don't think that wealth inequality should decide whether or not you get a good education. Because, yes, technology is great. Yes, that growth is great. But who is it benefiting more in the long run? And that's the people who can afford it. Medical advances are great, but only if you have good insurance. If you can, if you can afford all those increases in technology... That's also great, but that's an if you can afford it, and if you're on the current minimum wage, you cannot. And yeah, it can go back to the common idea that you shouldn't be paid $100,000 to flip burgers, but your worth as a human being shouldn't be diminished because that's the only job you can get because you're stuck in a cycle of poverty. And then you don't have the luxury, which it shouldn't even be a luxury, of living a decent life uh and that's where my issues come from sure uh but it was good speaking it was a good 43 minutes yeah uh that was a a quality session of conversation i think last time um a lot of agreement this time a little bit more disagreement um but uh yeah we had a lot of good conversation and uh Thanks to all who are listening second time around. We had a good amount of people turn out for the first one. Hopefully we'll continue to grow. Um, and let us know if you have... Uh, I got some input from certain people. That was much appreciated. Let us know if you have any more input on what you'd like to see in the podcast and any improvements and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. All right, have a good one. All right. Yeah, see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye.